The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Get your notes out. Get your devices out. If you take notes on those, you can follow along with me in the New Song app. Not only is it a great way for you to stay up to date on all that's going on here at the church, because we got a lot going on at the church. How many of you, I, w- I want to ask you to do something this week. Uh, I want you to be praying over Wednesday night and what's going on with the students. Um, we have really put a lot into this night. Yes, students, you excited? You in the house tonight? I'm telling you, God, God is moving at New Song students, and uh, Jackson and his team have done an incredible job leading it. And um, I, but I, I want you to this week, if you would, add this to your your notes to your prayer list this week. I want you to be praying. We're believing God that that teenagers are going to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're not just doing this so that we can say we had a bunch of people here. We're doing this because we want to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and we want to invite them into the family of God. Listen, there is so much garbage going on with teenagers right now, and this is not just happening in in California and in Oregon. This is happening in our home state, in our schools, and, uh, and we need a revival to take place in our schools. And those revivals are going to take place with our students. And so that's what we're believing God for. So would you, would you join me in praying this week for the New Song Students Night, that God will move, that the anointing of God will be here, and that we will see a radical transformation take, life, take, take place in the life of, of our students. Amen? Amen? Philippians chapter 2. We're in a series right now called Ship Shape. Somebody say, Ship Shape. And we are talking about the ships that shape us as a church. When I say ships, I'm not talking about literal ships. I'm talking about words that have the, that, those, those four letters in them, ship. And, uh, and these, these words, if you were here the first week of the series, what we said was, uh, God gave me this vision a while back of a church being kind of like this giant sailboat, you know, with, with, these, with these sails. And God said, if you'll raise these seven sails then we'll be able to capture the power of God, the breath of God, the wind of God to move ahead into the assignments, into the, the assignments that God has for us, both individually and corporately as a church. And so that's what we've been talking about, these seven sails that we're raising, these seven ships that we as, as Christians need to uh, value in our life and, and value as a church. So we talked in the first week about citizenship. We said that as Christians, the day you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you become a citizen of heaven, that you belong to a new kingdom. You belong to the kingdom of God. You no longer belong to the kingdom of this earth. You belong to God's kingdom, and you're an ambassador, and your job is to help establish the kingdom heaven rule of God in this earthly kingdom. And one of the ways we do that is we invite other people into citizenship. We help reach the lost with the message that Jesus is for them, and Jesus died Uh, so that they could have a relationship with him. In week two, we talked about worship. We talked about how worship is more than just a moment in a service. Worship is more than a song. Worship is more than a gesture towards God. That worship actually is kingship expressed. That it's, it's, it's living a life in obedience to God because when we obey God, Jesus said that's how you love him. We live a life in obedience to his word and his will, and we place him on the throne of our heart as number one. That's what really 
worship looks like. Uh, Last week we talked about discipleship and we talked about how God is not looking for cheerleaders to stand on the sidelines and root for him or just acknowledge that he exists. He's looking for people that will follow him with everything they've got, that will chase after him and, and are pursuing not only knowing him, but looking like him and doing what he did when Jesus was here on this earth. And the only way we're gonna do that is if we pursue Jesus with everything we have. I wanna encourage you, if you've missed any of these messages, make sure you go back and and catch up with us because these are building one on top of another and they're they're so important to who we are and what we're called to do as a church. Today, uh, we're going to look at fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. Fellowship. We're going to talk about the relationship that God wants to have with us. If you would, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray and then we'll dig into the word. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this day. I say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in this place over the past six years. I'm so grateful for all the people, for all of the, the work that you've done. Lord, we, we are, I, I truly am humbled and so grateful to be a part of what you're doing in this place. Thank you for the lives that have been changed. And also thank you, Lord, that we're, we're, not, we're not satisfied. <laughs> We, we've seen what you've done, and we know that there's more. We're grateful for what you've done, but we know that there's more. And so we just say today that we want the more, and, and we want more of you. And so today, as we open up your word, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to reveal yourself to us through your word. I pray that it would come alive, that we would have a greater understanding of who you are and what you came to do than we've ever had before. And Lord, we give you all the, the praise and the glory and the honor for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 5, it says this. In your life together, think the way Christ Jesus thought. So so what we're about to read gives us some insight to how Jesus was thinking along with what Jesus was doing. Verse 6, it says, He was like God in every way, but he did not think that his being equal with God was something to use for his own benefit. It's interesting that, that David... Uh, read this during worship. We didn't like, you know, talk about that together. It's just, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Like he, he puts things together. It says instead, verse seven, he gave up everything, even his place with God. He accepted the role of a servant appearing in human form during his life as a man. Verse eight, he humbled himself by being fully obedient to God. Even when that caused his death, death on a cross. Now, I think most of us in here, I don't know your, your biblical history, your, your Christian life, where, it, where it's been, what you know about God, but I think most of us have at least an understanding, if you know anything about Jesus, that he went to some pretty unbelievable lengths in order to save people. And a lot of times when we think of that, we immediately jump to the cross. And listen, I'm not trying to downplay the cross because it was the greatest work in human history that's ever been done. Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. Look back at verse 8. It says he humbled himself by being fully obedient to God even when it caused his death, death on a cross. Listen to me this morning. Jesus died on the cross for you. Like he did that. That really happened. Jesus died. He, He gave up his life. He willingly laid down his life on the cross and he did it for you. And I think a lot of us get that, but I, I think sometimes what we, we kind of skip over is the fact that Jesus, listen, not only did he die for you, he lived for you. Like he, he came in human form and he lived for you. Look, look back at what it says here. It says he gave up everything. 
everything. He laid down, he, he put the divinity, what made him God, he put that on pause. Even his place with God, his place in heaven, he, he laid that down. He accepted the role of a servant appear, appearing in human form. I, I think sometimes we don't necessarily comprehend the gravity of what Jesus was willing to do for us. Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, the, the one who spoke this world into existence, like that's the kind of power he has. That God became a human being. He stepped into this mess of a world and became one of us. Like, I, I don't know that we truly always wrap our brains around like that, the, the, that idea. Like, it's unreal to think about it. He wrapped himself in human flesh. You know what that means? That means that, that living as a human, he would get stinky. Like, God would have to take a shower. God, God, listen, God would need to go to the bathroom. God, who was omnipresent, everywhere present at once, downsized himself to the confines of a human womb, had to be born, had to have his diaper changed, had to learn how to eat, had, had to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. God did that. God did that. Are you tracking with me this morning? He was willing to do that. Not only was he willing to, to die for you, he was willing to live for you in human form. And then, and then that same God who spoke the world into existence allowed the world to ridicule him. Like sometimes it just blows me away reading the Bible and you have the Pharisees who, who say they believe in God and are trying to follow after God and yet they're arguing with God about stuff. God in the flesh. Like how Jesus didn't just smite them is beyond me. Like if I would have been Jesus, there would have been some smoting. But Jesus put the smote on hold. He didn't, put, he didn't smote them. He let them live. Like it's amazing. He, he allowed them to, to question him and ridicule him. And then eventually allowed the people that he created to take the flesh that he willingly wrapped himself in and rip it apart. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross for us. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And so here's the thing. The reason that Jesus was willing to go through all of that is because there was a problem that needed to be fixed. There was an issue that had to be dealt with. And so Jesus was willing to live for us and die for us so that he could deal with this issue. And I think it's important that we, we really comprehend and understand what this issue was. Because if he was willing to go to those links in order to fix the issue, shouldn't we know what the issue is so that we can live our life in a way that honors the issue and makes the most of, 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 of accepting and receiving what Jesus was willing to suffer and die for us to have? I think so, right? And here's what I believe. I believe that a lot of people don't really understand the main issue that Jesus came to fix. I think we think it's one thing when in fact it's another. And so what happens is sometimes we end up living our life aiming at the wrong target and pursuing something that's not really what Jesus came to, to, build for, for, to, to make a way for us to build our life on. And because we're building our life on the wrong idea, it actually, instead of empowering us to experience what Jesus died for us to experience, we're held back from experiencing what God wants us to experience. You tracking with me? Okay, so, so the question then becomes, what is the thing that Jesus came to fix? What's the issue? What's the main issue that Jesus came to fix? 
Well, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we have in Genesis chapter 3, you know, Adam and Eve, and they, they're living here on this earth in this place called Eden. And Eden is not, like a lot of times we think Eden is like a geographical location. Eden was actually a state of being. Eden actually meant that they had a perfect connection with God. That's what Eden was. They had this perfect ability to connect with God. There's no sin in the world. So since there's no sin in the world, they have this perfect connection with God. They have a perfect connection with each other. God has established them, given them an assignment, and given them authority to rule and reign in this earth. I mean, everything is good. And in in the middle of all this, God says, okay, here's the rules I want you to live by. I've given you all this. Enjoy it. Like, make the most of it. I'm going to, we're going to spend time together. It's going to be amazing. But there's just one thing I want you to pay attention to. This tree over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't don't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. You'll surely die. And so you know the story. Now, listen, here's the reason why God gave them this option, because he wanted them to not be like robots, He had to give them an option, a choice, because if they don't have a choice, they can't really choose to serve and love God. So he has to give them a choice. That's why we all have choices. God gave us a choice so we could choose him. So he gives them a choice, and we know the story. Well, they do. They they get deceived. Satan comes along, and he deceives them, and and they eat of the fruit of the tree. They disobey God. They fall short of the mark, and, and what happens? Sin enters the world, and in that moment, they die. Now, they don't physically die. How do they die? They die spiritually. They spiritually, death enters the world. Sin brings death. And now there's this disconnect between them and God because now they are unholy because of their sin. They can no longer connect with a holy God. And so what happens? We hear that story and we say, there it is. That's the issue that Jesus came to fix. He came to fix the sin issue, because sin kept us from God. He wanted to fix that, so he put, Jesus came to put a death blow to sin. So Jesus Christ died for our sins. And if you believe that, you're, you're right, but you're also a little off. Because listen, sin was an issue. It's a major issue. It's an issue that Jesus came to fix, but it's not the main issue that Jesus came to fix. Now, let me, let me try to illustrate this for you so you can understand it, Okay. I want you to imagine a scenario with me for just a moment. Imagine it's, it's Monday and it's the end of my work day. And so I'm getting ready to kind of pack up my stuff and head home. And what we do in our house is we have dinner together every night. And I look forward to it every night. It's fun. We get together and get to kind of reconnect with the family. I get to hear about everybody's day. And uh, so we go around the table and we talk about our peak and our pit. We talk about the highlight of our day. We talk about the low light of our day. Uh, we, we ask our kids, hey, did you have any salt light love moments? We're asking them, was there a moment in your day today where you were able to like, look like Jesus to your school, to the people around you? But before you start thinking that our, our dinner time is just this Bible study, it's not. Like We also act ridiculous and tell stupid jokes and beg my daughter, Sonny, who's seven years old, to please eat her food, and we go through the whole thing. But it's a lot of fun, and I look forward to it every day. And so I'm kind of packing up getting ready to end my day, and I get a call, and it's my wife, Sarah, and she says, hey, I was at the grocery store, and I was picking up some stuff for dinner, and when I got back in my car and and turned it, like, it's not starting, it won't start. I don't know what the deal is, but we're stuck here. She says, can you you come and and rescue us? I'm like, yes, I'm on my way, and so I, I pack up quickly, jump in my car, race over to the grocery store, and then I come upon this, this scene. 
So I start trying to deal with it as best I can. I don't know everything about cars, but I know a few things. So I, I get in there and I start trying to turn on the car and it, it won't start. So I bring my car over closer to it. I get out my jumper cables. I hook it up, try to start it, and it, it just will not start. Like the, It's pretty obvious that there's something wrong with this battery. This battery is beyond being jumped. This battery is dead, all right? So I tell Sarah, hey, I'm going to run over here to this auto parts store real quick. I'm going to grab a new battery. I'm going to bring it back. We'll hook it up. We'll see if that fixes the problem. So I run over there, I grab the battery, get the right battery, bring it back. I hook it up, get dirty, you know, go through all the stuff you got to do to get that battery in there. And then I, I put it in the car. I, I start the car and sure enough, it fires right up and voila, all is right with the world. We go home and we have dinner and, and everything is good. Now, here's, here's the question. When I came over to the grocery store to deal with the problem what was the main issue I came to fix? The main issue I came to fix was not a battery issue. The main issue I came to fix was that my family couldn't get home to be with me. The battery was a problem standing in the way of what I really wanted, was, which was that my family could come home and be with me and be connected with me the way I desire for it to be, safe and sound the way it's supposed to be. And so I deal with the battery so I can get what I really want. Listen, in the same way, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and sin was a problem. But the main issue Jesus came to fix was a relationship issue. He wanted his family back. He wanted to be connected to the ones he loves that desperately needed him. So he dealt with the problem to get to the main issue he wanted to fix. Somebody say, amen. amen. The issue Jesus wanted to fix was a fellowship issue. He wanted a relationship. He wanted connection. Now listen, I'm not saying that, that sin is not an issue. Because sin is an issue. In fact, uh, it's pretty clear in Scripture that God hates sin. And when I say God hates sin, I'm not like, don't get this picture of God being like this fuddy-duddy who's just trying to keep people from fun. And it's like, you know, it's my way or the highway. Like, that's not it at all. The reason that God hates sin is a couple of reasons. Number one is that sin hurts people. Look at this verse, Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Wages. You know what wages are? Wages are something that you get for the work that you've done. Like you do a job and you get paid a wage. So what we get for, for the sin that we've all committed is we get the wage of death. And that's what we deserve. That's what we get. So the penalty due for our sin is death. And, and, and part of it, yes, is physical death, but part of it is also death to just the aspects of our life. Remember Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't just drop dead. What, what happened is that spiritually death entered. And that's what sin does. It brings death to our lives. It brings death to our relationships. It brings death to God's dream and purpose for our life. Death to our influence. Death to God's plan. Sin leads to death. Sin hurts us. And because God loves people, He hates sin. Uh, let me say it like this. God hates sin because God loves people and sin hurts people. So, so God... He, ha he hates sin. Here's the second reason why God hates sin. Because sin keeps people from God. Look at this with me. Isaiah 59 verse 2. It says, but your iniquities, and iniquities is just kind of another fancy way of saying sins. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you 
so that he does not hear. So the idea here is that sin separates us from God. Now listen, it's not that like you sin and God's like, forget you, I'm turning my back on you and I'm, I'm walking away. It's not that Jesus walks away, God walks away from you. The Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you. Here's what happens. When you sin, something gets in between you and God. It's called your sin conscience. And you become very aware of how unholy you are and how holy God is. And you give an open door for the enemy to come at you with condemnation. And now it's really hard for you to believe in faith and what God can do and who God is in your life. And so now you, you can't pray in faith. You can't live in faith. And so now God can't hear you because you're not living according to his word. And God hears when you pray according to his word. You tracking with me? So what I want you to see is that sin does damage. It hurts us. And God hates it because he loves people and he wants to help people. But I also need you to understand something. God's intention for your life post the cross was not that you live the rest of your life trying really hard not to mess up. Like God's desire is not that you just, you know, you're now that he died on the cross. Okay, that was the reason he came. That's, that's the main the thing he came to do. And so now I've got to put all my focus and all my attention on, on not sinning because then I glorify sin in my life. And here's a principle you need to understand about God. Whatever you are after first orders the rest of your life. Whatever you put in that place of priority in your life, everything else in your life becomes ordered by that thing. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things there. He's talking about like the concerns of life, the concerns for our finances, the concerns uh, for, for our family, the concerns for, you know, the details of, of our life and sin and all that kind of stuff. All those concerns become ordered. Look at this. All these things shall be added unto you. So, so here's what God is saying. If you'll put me first and pursue what I am after first, then everything else in your life will be ordered under that. But what can happen if we're not careful is we think the main issue Jesus came to fix was the sin issue. And so I gotta prioritize sin. What ends up happening is we empower sin. And sin becomes something that we order our life by instead of simply ordering our life by God and letting him order everything else. You tracking with me? So, so the heart, what God wants us to do, simply put, is God wants us to desire what he wants most. And what does God want most? Well, it's the main issue Jesus came to fix. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a connection with you. And so he had to deal with sin. But it's not just for sin's sake, it's for death's sake. Because see, here's the problem with sin. Sin leads to death. And guess what? It's really hard to have a relationship with a dead person. So Jesus had to deal with, the, with what sin led to. Look at this. This is Ephesians 2.5. It says, even though we were dead because of our sin, He, talking about God, gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're dead in your sin. Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead. All of us have been dead at one point in our life. Pretty wild, right? Dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Listen, if you're a note taker this morning, jot this down. Jesus did not come so bad people could become good. Jesus came so dead people could come alive. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring life 
That's what he, he came to do. In fact, Jesus said it like this in John 10, 10. He said, the thief, the thief is talking about Satan, the devil. The thief comes only, only, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Listen, the devil's intention for your life is to pulverize you, to turn you into dust, to completely wreck and ruin every aspect of your life. These are the words of Jesus talking about the devil. The devil's real. He hates you, wants to destroy you. But then Jesus says this, I have come. So Jesus is telling us why he came. I have come that they, they is you, they is me, right? They is us. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are they. They may have, somebody say this with me, life. Say this next word with me, life. Say it like you mean it, life. Why did Jesus come so we could have? Life. There you go. And that they may have it more abundantly. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I came so they could be really good until I come back. That's not what he said. He said, I came so they could have life. I, I love some of the other translations of this. The Amplified says it like this. I came, Jesus talking, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Another translation says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Like that's the life Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have an abundant life, a blessed life, a rich and satisfying life. Now, I'm not saying your life's going to be perfect because your life's not going to be perfect. And the reason why your life's not going to be perfect is because we live in an imperfect world. The world we live in is broken. And because the world is broken and imperfect, there's a lot of imperfect people in this world. Can I get an amen? amen. And so sometimes that imperfection is going to try to get all up on us. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what gospel is. It's good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you're just never going to have any problems. It's that when you have problems, you don't face them alone. You face them with God by your side. And you face them in a real relationship with life. Jesus came so you could have life. Now look at this next verse. I love this. John 14, 6. Now let me remind you, what did Jesus say he came to do? He came to give you life. Okay, look at this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the, say it with me, life. life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus came so you could have life. And then a few chapters later, Jesus says, I'm life. So get this. Jesus came so you could have him. Jesus came so you could have him and so he could have you. That's the main issue Jesus came to fix. You couldn't have him and he couldn't have you. And so he dealt with sin so he could have you and you could have him. He came so you could have life so you could have a real relationship with him. Not an information ship. Not a religion. Not where you just know a lot about him and God is like a historical figure. Jesus is someone who lived and did some great things a long time ago, but now he's not here. He's far away. And, you know, I got to try really hard to do some do's and don'ts to kind of please him. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came so you could have a relationship with him, a real living relationship with him. I remember growing up, I, I had a great home. I really did. I had a great family, great parents. I grew up, my parents were in ministry uh, so I grew up at a great church, and if you've been at New Song, you've heard me say this before, like I was in church all the time. I was in church when the doors were open to everybody else, and I was in church when the doors were not open to everybody else. Like I was, I was in church, like I grew up in church. I'm one of those kids. And so I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about the Word of God. And I knew enough to be a little bit dangerous, to be honest with you. I knew enough to know how to manipulate. 
I knew enough to kind of live a certain way, but kind of fake it till you make it. You guys tracking with me? And, and if I look back at my life, I wasn't really surrendered to God. I'd have my moments, but for, for the most part, I wasn't really living a surrendered life to Jesus. And because of that, when I got a little older, my life was a wreck. And I had all sorts of issues, all sorts of problems. I was full of pride. I was full of anger. And there was, one, there was a particular sin that I was struggling with. It was a sin of lust. And at a young age, I got into pornography, and I was addicted to it. And it had its hooks in me, and it was leading me around by my nose. And it was starting to trickle into every aspect of my life, and it was wrecking my life. And I had a great marriage, or a great wife. I had a great job. On the outside, things looked pretty good, but things began to fall apart. And not very long after me and Sarah got married, our marriage was about to end. And she had separated from me, and I'd lost my job, and I was, I was in the lowest point of my life. And it was in that place that I went to the Lord, and I said, God, I give up. I give up. Now, when I say I give up, I'm not, give, I'm not like giving up on life. I was giving up on my way of life. I recognized my way was not working. And I said, God, if you will... If you'll please save me and help me and rebuild something here, I'll give you everything I've got. And when I did that, listen, I didn't find God up in heaven going, all right, we'll see. No. God came running to me. Reminded of the, the story of the prodigal son, you know. We hear that story called the story of the prodigal son. In Hebrew tradition, they call that the story of the running father. Because when the father saw the son and the son was returning and made just a little bit of effort, the father ran to him. And that's what I found. A running father. The father ran to me and he wrapped his arms around me and began to restore my life and restore my marriage. And things that I thought I had just ruined and wrecked got rebuilt. And it was amazing. I'd read the Bible and it was like, coming off, it was like, it was, it was literally like jumping off the page at me. It was crazy. I was just eating the word and just getting so much out of it. And I'd pray and I just felt like God was talking to me, like God was talking to me. Like it was a real relationship. It was different than what I experienced in the past. And, and God was leading me and guiding me and, and, and things kept working out and open doors would, would happen. And, and, and years later, I, I, God helps us and we plant a church and here we are. Like, if you would have known how low I was at one point to see this, it's, it's unbelievable. But that's what, that's what God invited me into was, listen, family, fellowship, relationship. And that's what he invites you to. God wants you to be a part of his family. The Bible says it like this, John 1, 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, believed who and accepted who? Jesus, that's what I was talking about. It says he gave them to the right to become children of God. How unbelievable is that? We have the right. Listen, you was dead, dead in your sin. And now you can have the right to become a, ch a child of God through Jesus. That's amazing. A child of God. You can be in the family of God. You were dead, but you can be made alive and be bought into the family of God. It's unbelievable. Where God is your father. God's not some distant God who's, who's looking to smite you. No, no, no. He's a father. God wants you to relate to him as a loving father. 
in a relationship where God's your father. And listen, Jesus is your brother. Hebrews 2 says it like this. It says, Jesus and the ones he makes holy. Who are the ones he makes holy? Anyone who's, who receives of the work of Jesus on the cross. He makes you holy. It says, the one he makes holy have the same father. Now, here's a question for you. Not a trick question. This isn't rocket science. If you and someone else have the same father, what does that make you? Related, right? That's your brother. That's your sister, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And he actually spells it out. He says, and that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're, Jesus is your big brother. How awesome is that? And it says he's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. Now, we probably all in here can relate to having some people in our family. Sometimes, you know, somebody will be like, hey, are you related to, you know, Billy Bob? And you're like, well, I mean, <laughs> yes, but, you know, like, it's, we were raised different. <laughs> and I, I think sometimes that's, how, like, we think that's how it is with Jesus. Like, you know, if someone wants to come up to Jesus in heaven and say, hey, are you related to Josh Blunt? That Jesus would be like, yeah, but I, like, you know, I don't agree with everything he does. What he says sometimes, like, I'm, I'm not on board with that. No, listen, listen. Someone comes up to Jesus and says, are you, are you related to Josh Blunt? He goes, absolutely, that's my brother. You know why? Because, because God, Jesus doesn't look at me based on my mistakes and my sins. He looks at me through the lens of the cross that he was willing to go and die and make a way for me to be in his family. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't say as far as Oklahoma is from Chicago. He doesn't say as far as the sun is from the moon. He gives an immeasurable distance. Why? Because that's how far removed your sins are from your life the moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so he looks at you and he says, I am proud to call you brother. You're a part of my family. God's our father. You're my brother. And we're in the family of God. We're all in the family of God. We're all brothers and sisters. Turn the person beside you and based on what they are, say, hey, what's up, brother or sister? Look at this verse, Ephesians 2, 19. It says, you are therefore, check this out, this is huge. You are therefore no longer mere foreigners or persons excluded from civil rights. You are no longer. That means you were at one point. At one point in your life, you were excluded. You were a foreigner, but now you're not. On the contrary, you share citizenship with God's people and are members of his family. That phrase, members of his family, literally means in the Bible that you are related by blood. What blood is that? It's the blood of Jesus. His blood brought, brought you in to the family of God. So here's what I want you to see. This is not about just trying to stop sinning. The main issue Jesus came to fix was a relationship issue. I, I, I thought for years, and you probably heard this before, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins. Jesus died on the cross because of my sin, but he died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for you. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 too. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. 
It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That means he put up with it, despising the shame, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he do it? What was the main issue Jesus came to fix? He did that for the joy that was set before him. You know what the joy that was set before him was? It was you. He was thinking about you. The joy that was set before him was being able to bring you back into the family. Was being able to bring you back out of death into life. And so Jesus willingly, willingly went to the cross. He lived for you and he willingly died for you because he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want a religion. He wants you. He loves you. And you know, we all have issues in our life. There's issues in the world. I think we can all agree with that. And we all have different issues that we're dealing with. But the key to the issues of life is getting the main issue figured out. And the main issue is this. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know God? Are you living a life surrendered to Him? Because here's the thing. Until you get that issue figured out and ordered properly, everything else is going to be a mess. But the moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life and begin to follow after Him with everything you got, now you have life. And now because you have life, you can do what God's inviting you to do. You can be who He's coming, who, who He wants you to become. Okay, so as we close, I got some bad news and I got some good news. I'll start with the bad news. The bad news is we all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin means that we miss the mark. Like God sets a certain standard and we fall short of that standard. And we've all done it. We've lied, we've lusted, we've coveted, we, we've done all these different things. If you've ever sinned before, raise up your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise up your hand, you're lying now, so there you go, you're covered. <laughs> We've all sinned. And so that's bad news. And it gets worse. The penalty for sin is death. Remember, we read that verse earlier. It says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. That's what a wage is. Death means it's eternal separation from God. Can't connect with Him. Can't be close to Him for eternity. Not just for here on this earth, but for all eternity which leads us to this place called hell when this life is over. So that's the bad news. It's pretty bad, isn't it? But there is good news. And the good news is really, really good. The good news is that Jesus died so he could have a relationship with you. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, I, I, I love that part. It doesn't say he demonstrated his love for us and that when we get it all together, and we're doing really good, then, like he died for us there. Now, while we were still sinners, at your worst, Jesus died for you. And if you're at your worst and you're willing to turn to Jesus today, he'll take you where you are. Now listen, he won't keep you there. He ain't gonna keep you there, because that's not how he rolls. He'll accept you at your worst, but then he's gonna move you ahead into his vision for your life. While we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. He died for you at your worst. He loves you. He wants to save you. And, and so here's the thing. Jesus uh, didn't deserve death. The, the wages of sin is death, right? So what we earn for sin is death. Jesus never sinned. You know, Jesus would have never died. He's never sinned. But he willingly laid down his life. And when he did that, he received something he didn't deserve. And now because he received something he didn't deserve, death, hell, and the grave, we can receive something we don't deserve, everlasting life with him. Amen. So, so that's good news. And it gets even better. You can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace, that's undeserved favor. You don't deserve it. You have been saved. You've been delivered from sin's penalty through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. You, you can't earn this. You can't do enough. Like this idea that maybe if I can just live a life where I tip the scales in the favor of my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds, then, then I'll be accepted. You know, that, that's not how it works. It's a gift from God we have to receive. It's grace, not of works, so that no man can boast. So it's, it's by faith. Faith means this, it's trust. It's trusting God, being willing to trust Him and give Him our life. Okay, so here's what it comes down to. The wages of sin is death. So we, we agree, we've all sinned. And here's the thing, somebody's gotta pay for your sins. They have to be paid. So you can either pay for it or you can choose to allow what Jesus did to pay for it. So what do you do? Here's, here's what you do. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Notice that it doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. In other words, it's not saying if you confess with your mouth, hey, you know, Jesus, he, he can save me and I don't want to go to hell. That sounds bad. So I'll, I'll say that he's Savior and I'll cheer him on from a distance and I'll, you know, I'll st I'm still going to do my thing because, you know, I want to do my thing. But I, but I'll, but I, I want to go. I want that heaven stuff. I don't want that hell stuff. So, so I'm down for that. So I'll lift up my hand, but I'm still going to do my own thing. That's not, that's not Lordship. <laughs> Jesus is Lord means he's the boss. It means from this day forward, I'm going to follow after him and do what he wants to do. Not my will, but him be done, but his be done. Amen. Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So there's one word that describes this. It's surrender. It's that place I found myself in years ago. God, I give up. My way ain't working. And I'll give you everything I've got. If you can make that decision then you can be saved. God can turn everything around for you. Would, you. would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.